0: Welcome to Harper Academic Calling. Our podcast is designed to give educators, students, as well as every reader, a behind the scenes chat with a range of our authors, from well-loved favorites to up and coming debut writers about their books. C. Foster. Tom Foster returns to the podcast to talk about his latest book, How to Read Nonfiction Like a Professor. In the book, he applies the tried and true tactics of how to read literature like a professor and how to read poetry like a professor to the reading of nonfiction, from scholarly biographies to the memes your high school friend shares on Facebook. We spoke with him about a number of topics, including how relevant the book has become in the last several years, strategies readers can employ to avoid disreputable nonfiction, how we can be sure what we're reading is really the truth so joining us right now we have thomas foster who is the author of Well, we had him on previously for how to read poetry like a professor and now today we're going to talk about how to read nonfiction, like a professor and thanks so much for coming back to the podcast
1: michael thanks for having me it's a pleasure to be here
0: good good um so this is a book that teachers have wanted for years um so how long have you been thinking about this book, working on it? Um what was that process like for you?
1: Well, um it's been it's it, it's hard to describe because there are always about four things going, uh three of which are the possible book after this one or or else the one the possible book after the one after this one, you know, depending on what's <laughs> in the pipeline. Um mm-hmm. But I've been working uh, seriously and exclusively on it uh, for two years, um, maybe just a little more than that since uh, "How to Read Poetry Like a Professor" came out, uh, which was, I think, 2018. Um, it's uh, um, uh, it, it's become more necessary um, as uh, during the writing of the book, I think it became more necessary. Um, and didn't, isn't the book I thought I was writing. I'll tell you that that right now. Um, Mm -hmm. I, it's, I think it's more interesting than the book I was, was thinking to write on this topic. It was still going to have the same topic or the same title. Um, Mm -hmm. but it was going to be more, more based on working through individual genres of nonfiction. Uh, because nonfiction is not a single entity. You know, within that, there's biography and memoir and history and uh, how to uh, and um, a whole bunch of other uh, types of writing. And so I thought, well, we'll be, you know, I'll lay out a couple of chapters up front on sort of general precepts and then work our way through genres. And we get around at some point to doing, uh, you know, newer media, um, online genres and that was going to have to include social media but with the way um, the misuse of nonfiction for one of a better term here has gone over the last few years it, it became more of a um, less of a, a self-help and more of a save yourself from from bad sources kind of uh, <laughs> kind of reading and so that wound up uh necessitating a few more front chapters, uh the, the the sort of general section got longer. Um the the specific genres of traditional nonfiction became fewer and there was more emphasis on um uh social media, uh online um uh shenanigans and, and, and general bad behavior <laughs> toward the end.
0: Mm. That's actually interesting because well, my follow-up question was going to be, um, is this book different now than it would have been if you had written it, say, five years ago? But it definitely seems like it, it is.
1: It, yes, uh, it, it is, I would say, markedly different, possibly wildly different from one that I would have written five years ago. Um, and And it, it in some ways seemed less necessary five years ago. Mm-hmm. um are, are useful I, I don't mean that it wouldn't have had uh, utility but um this here's what really turned it for me in the space of a very few months um three books came out um mm-hmm. all having to do with the current president in one way or another and um they were um uh, michael wolf's uh, fire and fury uh, uh, James Comey's uh, book and then um, Bob, uh, Bob Woodward's Fear. And uh, one was by someone who's essentially uh, a celebrity writer as a, as a career journalist. Uh, that would be Wolf. Uh, James Comey, of course, was a, um, a member of law enforcement and head of the FBI and, and uh, his book, A Higher Loyalty, is in some ways um, uh, not even not meant to be objective but rather a sort of justification of his his um, his position in all of the all of this in his firing and the uh, uh the investigations of the president and and uh, um he was trying to show what he was up to, that he was not nefarious. And and so, you know, that's a perfectly legitimate reason to write a nonfiction book. Mm-hmm. And then Bob Woodward is is the lone investigative journalist of the trio. Now, those are not even remotely like all of the books that have come out about the, the Trump administration and, and, and Donald Trump himself um, over even over that period of time, much less over the last uh, uh, say three years, um, but they seem sufficiently different that I, I could dive into them, and show strengths, weaknesses, uh, make comparisons, um, and and suggest where, uh, and in whom we can put our trust, and 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 on what basis, in in writing that we see. Um, really about anything but certainly about uh uh, as figure as as divisive as um as president trump has been
0: Mm -hmm. one tactic you talk in the book is uh what you call defensive reading and this is something that could be used whether you're reading any of these three books about trump that you've mentioned um whether you're a student in class reading nonfiction, um or if you're just someone on social media, you know, browsing through, looking at headlines and memes and things like that. So, could you elaborate a little bit on what what defensive reading is?
1: Right, and 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 by defensive reading, I don't mean reading that starts with the belief that everybody is lying to me about everything. That's that's as useless as being completely gullible and believing everything you read. That's called nonfiction is true. Mm-hmm. Um, rather, what I mean is um, approaching. Nonfiction with a, a healthy skepticism, making uh, making writers prove their points. Where's the evidence for this? How solid is the evidence? Um, can uh, first of all, what are the bona fides of the person doing the writing? Um, uh, and and how likely is he or she to prove trustworthy? Um, we have we have a problem with almost all of the sources on any current president that many of them will be unidentified okay they will they will only a lot of people will only give because they value their careers uh, Mm -hmm. will only give information on um, background sometimes very deep background they don't want to be they don't want to be in any way identified um, and they don't want the specifics of their language used, because you can track a person back through their language uh, if you have enough time and, and uh, um, uh, a smallish supercomputer, let's say that, uh, to find out who's, who speaks like that. Mm-hmm. And you might be able to identify them, so they will refuse to be quoted. Um, that doesn't mean they didn't tell the truth. It doesn't mean that they did uh but, so we need and and Woodward is the best of the three on this at at backing up an unnamed source with other sources often some of whom are named um and you know it's, it's the it's basically his model his and Bernstein's model for how they handled all the president's men way way back there uh uh when they were writing about uh, uh about watergate uh, and and so you know he uses he uses unnamed sources but he does so more judiciously and he he as much as humanly possible shows us his work you know how did he arrive at this conclusion how did he know whether he could trust that source or not and often it's about someone else telling him the same thing from a slightly different perspective um, uh, whereas wolf just uh he never names a source <laughs> or it seems like he does, but he it, it seems sometimes like he never names a source and he's really very um very flimsy in in uh building any scaffolding that will cause us to trust what he's telling us um He just sort of dashes things off, throws out um a claim uh and either doesn't back the claim up or backs it up with with uh, Testimony, for want of a better term, that's pretty, pretty sketchy in its own right. Uh, so what I'm trying to get people to do is see that there are degrees of uh, trustworthiness and we can identify those. We can see how, how, for instance, a writer uses data. OK, does the data support uh, if used uh, what the writer is claiming? Uh, does. Testimony get corroborated by testimony from others, um, and you know what are the what are the nature of these sources. Um, so we we do our best to um, uh, you know to to try if you know if we're wise uh, to try to find our way in um, to something approaching truth or accuracy. Um, if that's a, a, a less fraught term, I'm not sure whether it is or not. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, well, we can definitely get into that aspect of truth in a little bit. Um, but for now I want to ask, so uh, what you just talked about with sources, um, and how Wolf versus Woodward uses sources and names things, um, that's definitely a red flag to look for. Are there any other common red flags you can think of that readers could use to sort of identify disreputable nonfiction?
1: Um, well, there is, um, uh, sort of broad generalizations. Um, one thing I watch for a lot of times is, um, is someone relying too heavily on what are simply talking points by one of the, one of the disputing parties? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, do they, are the claims that they make simply those that show up uh from the the Democratic National Committee <laughs> or the Republican <laughs> National Committee, um, those aren't really to be trusted. Um you know they're meant to slant an argument. Um so if a if a writer who's supposed to be independent or even somewhat partisan uh leans too heavily on, on somebody else's talking points that's that's a red flag I think that's one that we want to watch for. Uh, data manipulation. Um, th- you know there are um, uh, there are two sides to every story, but where um, where numerical fact is is involved, um, or mm-hmm. even non-numerical fact, um, we have to watch. It is is an argument to um, that disputes climate change, for instance, is the whole argument built around a single data point? Uh, because it's easy for any of the hot topics to find um, an outlying data point, one that doesn't seem to match. I remember back when uh, Jeb Bush was first thinking about uh, running for office, he kept referring, and, and I can't remember exactly where it was now, but there's, a, there's, a, there's an area of the North Atlantic, where the water temperature has essentially not changed very much during this period of climate change. Now, everything else around the world has changed a great deal, but they, this one would get trotted out by uh, by skeptics, by climate skeptics, uh, to say, well, see, here's this data point. The, the temperature of the ocean isn't changing. Well, the temperature in the ocean right where this is, and it's not all that far away from where uh, pieces of the Greenland ice shelf or ice sheet keep falling off into the ocean. Um, but for whatever reason, it, it didn't act like all the other hotspots around the globe. It's like referring to last week's snowstorm to say, well, there's no global warming. Okay. That's Mm -hmm. not really valid data. Um, that's one point, but if you look at the temperature around the earth in that same time period, you can get a very different picture of of the temperature because any one spot e- even over time uh rather not just in a single moment can remain fairly static while the earth as a whole is going dynamic so those kinds of arguments now if somebody's got you know 12 data points um uh, uh, that's a different story you know now we're looking at uh, now okay what's going on here why are so many data items not lining up with what's expected in this or that regard. Um, so, you know, those those kinds of, you know, where someone sees this on a single fact, it may well be a fact in and of itself, but it may not be all that explanatory.
0: Mm hmm. Um, So I want to go back to what you were saying briefly about um, bias, because we do have, there are some nonfiction pieces that um, proclaim to be objective, but writers have hidden biases. Um, But then there are some pieces, like opinion pieces, for example, where there is a clear bias, and that's sort of the point of the piece. Um, So for things like that, how would you say a reader should approach um, an opinion or bias piece like that? Is there, um, is that helpful in getting... Different sides, like should you be balancing different opinions? What would you What would you say about that?
1: Well, uh, it, there's uh, when you balance different opinions, there's always the the the, the hazard of, of false equivalency. We say, well, we'll get a, we'll get a story from each side. Um, uh, well, they don't necessarily balance out. They don't necessarily cancel out. It depends on how how valid the the facts are. Um, we're one thing I like about opinion pieces is that they are—they reveal the bias of, of the writer. The writer is doing this not to present um, objective uh, research, but rather to use whatever research uh, he or she has done in support of an argument. Okay. We want to see that such evidence as is used, is used fairly. Um, We want to see that when uh, the the opposing forces are uh, characterized, that they're characterized fairly. There are a number of of, uh, editorial writers, opinion writers, columnists, uh, opinion columnists, who, when they characterize the opponents... uh, they put words that not only put words into their mouths, they put words into the mouths of their opponents that the opponents would never consider saying. And this is not, uh, this is not simply the right does this or the left does this. There are, um, there are unscrupulous columnists on both sides. Um, <laughs> and um, that's you know, it, it's it's unjust, uh, to, uh, if you want to take on the opposition, take on what the opposition actually says and does. Don't turn them into a cartoon version of themselves uh, or the, you know, the the boogeyman that you think the, your adherents wish to see them presented as. Uh, you know, that that doesn't get us anywhere. Uh, then we're simply in a, a if everyone does that, we're simply in a, a, a sort of circular firing squad where you trash everyone. Um, and the, the net result is that you can't trust anyone, um, and that's that's what I'm trying to get past. It, it, saying, "Well, we can't trust any of them," you know, all all newspapers lie. That's a real problem, okay? Um, or all media lies, or everybody lies. You know, okay. Now you've just given up on uh, basically on modern life uh, when you reach that point.
0: Mm-hmm. Um so let's talk about the truth a little bit. Um very heavy topic. Um but it does seem like in today's day and age uh the truth has almost become a partisan issue where it seems like, you know, each side has its own set of truth and you know, you can't really convince one side that their truth is incorrect. Um so I guess what I want to ask is how how can you know what to trust exactly you know there are experts on each side how do you know who to listen to who's valid who doesn't have some sort of other agenda where they're distorting the facts
1: this is where um the reader has to do some work Mm -hmm. i'm sorry to report this but sometimes we have (laughs) to do work beyond looking at whatever it is that we're looking at um Ah. there are um there, there are Often, I won't say always, but there are often um, reports out in the world, uh, uh, reporting even out in the world, but data that's out in the world, that is not being presented by either of the two sides exactly as it appears. Um, Mm -hmm. And we can, with a little bit of research, and I'm talking, you know, of, a ten minute Google search basically to find sources um, and then you have to you have to judge those sources um, you have to go beyond Wikipedia because Wikipedia can be manipulated on any any fact one of its great features is that everybody's an editor and one of its worst features is everyone is an editor um, it, you know we, we we can't trust it and I have a story in the book about a friend of mine who tried to um, uh, tried to present the most up-to-date view of uh, this 18th century writer, Thomas Chatterton, a uh, sort of boy wonder who died very young uh, under mysterious circumstances. Um, and she went in and changed, you know, something that had, was old information. And there was somebody just determined that that was the truth for all time because he would read it when he was in high school or whatever. We don't know what his cause was. And she, she changed it. He changed it back. Next day, she'd go in and change it again. Um, and eventually, she wrote to the, the higher-ups at Wikipedia and said, look, the Chatterton is one of my areas of study. This is where the, the discussion of Chatterton has gone in recent scholarship. And she cited the scholars who were involved. And for reasons she still doesn't understand, um, she's the one who got banned or blocked from from editing the Chatterton page anymore. Uh, so you know, <laughs> you if they're capable of doing that, they're not really the most trustworthy operation. Uh, yes, mm-hmm. we all use them for basic facts to get started on things, but you can't really drill down and count on any uh disputed truth being accurately represented you have to get a, li- a little beyond wikipedia now you can use their sources okay? almost every wikipedia page has sources at the bottom and you can check through some of those and find uh useful information but we do have to mm-hmm. we do have to look up uh what we know and where experts uh i happen uh uh, as a card-carrying expert, to believe in expertise, <laughs> um, I think it—you know—I think it is still valid. Uh, everyone can have an opinion, but not everyone can have a really well-informed opinion um, just because they believe something to be true. Uh, so we were looking for people who actually uh, have studied subjects and know uh, something about their subject in depth, um, and that's where we want to go. Uh, and the truth is that. Opinion writers, that's not them. Uh, they take mm-hmm. on a whole host, for the most part, they take on a whole host of uh, of subjects um, uh, that are not exactly in their wheelhouse, often because their wheelhouse is journalism. It's not any, uh, you know, and it's not any external study feature. It's about being a journalist, writing things every day, being able to produce readable copy. Uh, and occasionally having something worthwhile to say. Um, uh, and I don't say that to demean writers of of opinions or, or journalists in general. Um, you can't know everything. You know, we can know one or maybe two areas in some clarity. Uh, but none of us is an expert in everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, you know, we need we need to find those who do really know a field and see what they're saying and see where the, the things have gone on it. Um, and sometimes it's easy. Uh, you can find the pictures of that inauguration. Uh, you know, when you were talking about introducing this particular topic, I was thinking about uh, Kellyanne Conway's contribution to American culture that you know, there are alternative facts. Well, no, there aren't alternative facts. There may be alternative explanations for a fact um but there's no way that you can look at the pictures of uh of the Obama inauguration and the Trump inauguration and come out believing that Trump had a greater crowd at his inauguration uh which was what they claimed and and Sean Spicer was stuck trying to defend that position and presented it. and uh Kellyanne Conway was just completely flummoxed there was there was nothing she could say except well there there are alternative facts um and uh, now I'm afraid, and I've, I've, I've just contributed to it, that we're stuck with the phrase. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Ugh, yeah, it seems, like, it seems like we all have some work to do. Uh, maybe not you as much, but all of us Oh, me readers. a
1: lot. <laughs> <laughs> I, have to, I have to check my biases at the door. I, I spend probably half the time that I'm on uh, Facebook which is my social medium of choice uh, for better or worse. Uh, Dangerous one. (laughs) Yeah, well, they all are Uh, fact checking my friends um, who will link to something and go, oh, my God, this is just. And then, well, let's back that up one step and find out what the real story behind this posting was, is, you know, a meme is no guarantee of uh, uh, of veracity. Okay. it's it's more truthiness than truth uh, mm-hmm. to use Stephen Colbert's term um, and and sometimes they're onto something and sometimes um, uh, sometimes they're not uh, sometimes it's strictly misleading um, and I find myself being uh, lured <laughs> by attractive people stories attract you know these things that back up my biases in other words and as much as possible i try to check that i usually give myself about 2 minutes to sort of wallow in it and see 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 i knew that was true um, <laughs> and and then and then cut that cut that piece out of me and you know let go of it and and uh, get to the bottom of things
0: yeah absolutely Oof, it's a scary world out there. Um, so one last question I have. So you may remember from the last time you were on here, we usually end our podcast asking who your favorite teacher was. But since we've already asked you that question, um, I instead I'm going to ask you, who is your favorite writer?
1: Oh, my. Um, <laughs> well, since we're talking nonfiction, um mm-hmm let's stick with nonfiction writers. Um, and, and there are, there are thousands of good ones, um, Mm -hmm. through history. Uh, but I think the, the writer I like best and I like him best on the subject of writing is John McPhee. Um, John McPhee has, you know, he has written for the New Yorker for 60 years now, something like that. Uh, And a lot of his articles turned into books. He will find a topic that no one in his right mind would undertake to make a a New Yorker article or a book out of, Um, like uh, these two-mile-long coal trains out west, and they're the way they haul coal around around the country. Um, But it was. I opened the New Yorker one time. I, I started on this article. I have no idea why I started on it. Um, and the next thing I knew, I was engrossed in it. And then it was a two-parter. So then I had to wait the rest of the week for the new one to arrive the next, you know, Monday or Tuesday in the mail. <laughs> and, um, you know, it was like I, I couldn't wait to finish it. It was like I was, you know, I was one of those people standing on the dock say, crying out, is little Nell dead yet? <laughs> um <laughs> uh, from the old serialized, uh, publication, you know, by Dickens. And, and, uh, uh, I wanted to know, uh, he's written about oranges. He's written about the the importance of the American shad to the development of the country. Um, uh, and he has a, a, a just brilliant book. It's, the, it's the product of his, about 50 years of teaching a course once a year at Princeton. Uh, which is his not only his home school but his hometown uh, uh, on nonfiction writing, uh, and he talks about how he does it, and he talks about how he tries to find the right structure for books and how he puts things together. and uh, It's it's a great little book, and I have been recommending it to anyone who's interested in learning to write nonfiction or interested in teaching others to learn to write nonfiction. So John McPhee would be my choice, uh, at least as as of this moment.
0: <laughs> uh, and I think you mentioned him in the book, correct me if I'm wrong.
1: I do, I do, yes.
0: Mm-hmm. Great, great. Uh, well, Tom, this has been a really great conversation. Uh, it's been great having you back. Thanks so much.
1: All right, well, thank you, Michael. It was a lot of fun. All right, bye. Thanks, Michael, bye.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Harper Academic Calling. Subscribe on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite third-party app for more episodes. And be sure to visit us at HarperAcademic.com for more information about this and other great books.